like think about what we say and think about what we believe in very critically because the world is a crazy place. So awkward and kind of embracing that has been a very big help to me in life. And it stopped my wanting to perform for a long time and really Comedians Exposed, a podcast where comedians talk about vulnerability with your host, Deanna Kobe. Today on Comedians Exposed, we welcome a very dear friend of mine as today's guest. This person is well-loved in the comedy scene, not just for his very hilarious bits, but he's genuinely a solid and kind person. This person has produced both the Ugly Sweater Show and the Express Yourself Showcases. He is co-host of the very popular Long Lost Heroes podcast. He is a musical talent, and you can find his content on his YouTube channel. You can also see him live at Wawa Social Club on November 13th. And we are so excited to welcome AJ Sherman as today's guest on Comedians Exposed. Welcome, Yay. AJ. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Deanna. This is awesome. Oh, thanks so much for being here. And I wanted to first talk about your podcast. Um, I was fortunate enough to be a guest. AJ has a wonderful podcast. It's so popular. I was wondering if you could talk about it a little bit. Yeah, uh, so it's called Long Lost Heroes Podcast, which is named after the band uh, that me and my co-host were in when we were in high school. Um, and, you know, we were always kind of trying to figure out um, what the second life of the band name would be. You know, would it be a continuation? Would it be something new? Would it be, a, a, you know, wh where would it go? And after uh, trying and, you know, to figure out I know how hard it can be to set up a podcast and to begin one and I had a couple uh you know false starts at the beginning and luckily um my good friend Frank reached back out after guesting and doing some work with me on a separate podcast I was trying to launch and it's just been really great ever since then he we started it remotely he then moved to Brooklyn and now I moved away <laughs> and now he's actually moving to the burbs with uh his wife too, but it's been, it's a super awesome blessing to have this recurring project going on. Me and Frank shared a lot of life experience, both being in the band and also working at like a fast food restaurant on the beach in Long Island. And uh, we had some really great times. We have a good work ethic together, good connection. And uh, yeah, if we just wrapped up uh, watching all of the James Bond films. So if you're missing Sean Connery and you want to go back and, uh, hear what we thought about some of his his movies definitely uh check us out and now we're going to be covering the star wars disney plus show the mandalorian through its run on disney plus wow that's so awesome i wanted to ask too i heard recently that there was announced a new J james bond was going to be a woman right so there's a lot of speculation about what is going to happen after james bond 25 so the next james bond movie was supposed to come out all the way back in April of 2020, uh, it was called No Time to Die, and it got pushed back uh, for some reason. I have no idea why, actually. I can't, couldn't think of why they would push this movie back. We all know it's the coronavirus and a ton of Marvel or Star Wars stuff coming around at that time. And we're like, you know what? Let's get into uh, a series of movies. Um, it got pushed all the way back to November. And then we decided, OK, like we're going to do all the Bond movies and that'll be our content. And what an awesome pro uh, project we got to do. So to your question, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson are now the producers, the owners, the runners of the showrunners of James Bond. And there's a lot of speculation that a uh, replacement to Daniel Craig, who is exiting and retiring after this movie will be coming around. They have kind of remained mum on the subject of what they're going to do next. There's a lot of speculation that uh, it was going to be Idris Elba for a long time. He was definitely uh, campaigning to take on the role. And now they have a new female actress who's about to play a counterpart to 007 in this new upcoming movie. And she's from the trailer. We know that she's a double O. So there's a lot of speculation that she may be taking over the part two, which would be 
I think a very interesting and cool idea, you know, throughout the history of James Bond, we've seen many actors come and go, many uh, different people inhabit the role. And I think it's definitely time for a shakeup. I think people are ready for something new. Who would your ideal James Bond be? Well, after watching all of them, I think it's definitely Sean Connery. I think he's he's the best. He's the originator of the role. He kind of designed that like cool swagger that like everybody has been trying to imitate for 50 years. Like that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, if I were to recast Bond tomorrow with somebody I thought would be good, I would actually go with bringing Pierce Brosnan back. Oh. Uh, I think it would be fun to see an aged, grizzled Bond kind of get called back in. Uh, we had also speculated that it would be very cool to have an Avengers-like Bond movie where you bring back as many of the actors as you could to reprise their roles and show up and like set the universe straight and together and, and, and go from there. Do you have a Sean Connery impression? I'm not really good at Sean. He's like, uh, can only, you know what I end up doing? I end up doing the Daryl Hammond, like impression, <laughs> the penis mightier. <laughs> you know, like I, I, my, that's where my ear goes. I love the line. One of my favorite James Bond memories was, uh, is in Goldfinger when, uh, it's the very beginning of the movie. And it was like my understanding of the world, right? My dad had showed me this one. He's like, oh, you're going to love this scene. And there's a scene where he's bedded this really beautiful woman and it's very beginning of the movie and he gets up and the lady checks the champagne and it's warm. And he says, no, I'm going to, that's, that's sacrilegious. And he says, almost as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. And I always like love that line. It was, that movie came out in the summer of 64. It was made, uh, a month after the Beatles made their Ed Sullivan performance. So like how timely and awesome that reference is never, it never escapes me. It's awesome. I had a, a lot of fun on your podcast and what was so, was so weird, great to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And it was actually so funny because one of somebody who listens to your podcast was somebody I knew from way back. Really? Hey, yes. And uh, I was so excited. They found me, I guess on Instagram after listening to that episode and it was like, like literally, like this person is going back like 20 years. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I was like very happy to reconnect with them. But there was also a slight element of cringe. And I don't know if this is for you. Um, whenever someone from my past finds out now that I do comedy, I always get a little like cringy. Is oh, that a, something that you feel or no? Oh, God. You know, this hasn't happened to me yet, but I, you know, that, that's a good question. I think I would be kind of happy because I kind of like the cringe. I, I know it doesn't come a lot of, out in my comedy, but I think like being awkward and kind of embracing that has been a very big help to me in life, you know, <laughs> and that the people who knew me from growing up, I haven't, my demeanor hasn't changed that much. Maybe I chilled out maybe a, a little bit, but I was always this goofy weirdo kid <laughs> and I'm sure people were like not surprised at all that I would try my hand at a comedy and, and performing comedy adjacent material. <laughs> I would, I would love that. I would think it was super hilarious. I would think it was super funny. You know what I did just get though. I was on another podcast talking about James Bond and uh, I, it, I had something that had happened to me that day. And like, I just came out with this line and somebody was like, how long did you come up thinking about that? And like that, then I was like, "Ugh, <laughs> gutted." <laughs> oh man, yeah. Because so, you were initially, because like you said, this person you have the podcast with, you guys were in a band. Totally, right? Totally. So, and like I want to specify here because I, I, one of the things I really do admire about the true art of stand-up, which you got, which my friends do, and and you, and you do so beautifully, is how personal and intimate you guys get with your material and how far you dig down to pull out and pull up, which is an amazing thing. And for me, like I was always the musician who was trying to have funny lines between songs. And you got to realize early on that you can't just say anything and get away with it. And when I was in those bands performing in front of high school people, it felt like the most high stakes thing in the history of the universe. It was 200 people in an auxiliary uh, assembly room in the in the high school, but really it felt like, you know, uh, Madison Square Garden to me. And I never played out at anywhere super duper crazy cool. We played at the downtown, which is a defunct uh, bar in Farmingdale where bands like Taking Back Sunday and other Long Island emo screamo bands really got uh, taken off of. I also played 
in my youth, the Hexer Park Auditorium in Huntington. But the main thing that we did with the band I was in with Frank, and this is after being in many high school bands, was we focused on just playing the school shit. And we were like, you know what? We're not going to go out and play. That seems very hard. We had other stuff going on. Let's just focusing on doing the school stuff and being the high school band. And we kind of got there by default. And when we did, we got to play a lot of different really fun shows. And what's maybe more cringy to me now is to go back and watch young AJ because it's not too different from me now in, in a lot of ways, but I didn't have the jokes yet. And I didn't know how to do that. And I didn't know how to kind of connect the dots. And you can see some really big swings and misses <laughs> on these old uh, tapes of me performing. So yeah, I was... Uh, that was definitely high school. In college, I played a lot with uh, my roommate, which was fun. We kind of had a band house. And then when I moved to Israel through school, I took up DJing because I just love being the center of attention. And <laughs> DJing was super duper fun until I got arrested. And yeah, it's a whole deal. And then I was, yeah. So I got arrested DJing on Kegs and Eggs in Albany, New York, made Glenn Beck at the time, which was super cool for us but it really wasn't cool in the long run because kegs and eggs i don't know if the listeners know but it is a way to celebrate saint patrick's day by waking up the saturday before saint patrick's day and beginning your drinking at 6 a.m they serve green beer and green eggs and i was asked to dj a frat house across the street from my home or where i was living i brought all my shit i set up i started djing at six i must have had a hundred people in this basement going crazy i was i looked down i looked up everybody was gone my friends came they're like we got to get out of here the cops are coming i had all my shit there i couldn't really just leave and then two seconds later three cops in riot gear came down the stairs and found me and uh arrested me on the spot threw me up the stairs it was not a, a shared <laughs> uh, way of tra- uh, ascending the stairs and then they screamed at me for five minutes to try to get the people who had hired me to play uh, on the phone, which they did not pick up. They locked themselves in the second floor apartment and did not come and get me. And then 10 minutes later, they walked me out in front of my entire block, 7 a.m., wearing all green and <laughs> threw me in the back of the car. Luckily, I didn't get I didn't go all the way in and, um, you know, go, go to prisoner or jail or anything. They gave me a ticket and I thought I was OK, but the. I was writing a term paper and I had won a grant through my department to write this paper. And Monday morning, uh, I got called into my advisor's office who was making sure I was writing the paper. And he slammed the local paper down on the desk. And he said, Andrew Sherman got arrested this weekend. Was that you? And I said, yes. And to this day, he chewed me out harder than my dad, customers I've pissed off, anybody who you know, I've offended in traffic. It was a tongue lashing like I've never received in my whole life. Yeah. And that kind of stopped my wanting to perform for a long time and really helped me to learn other ways to uh, get my sillies out and, you know, kind of spiraled me for a little while. But then uh, after, you know, moving back home after school and getting my first job in Manhattan, which was doing hardcore event planning and event management, uh, you know, I liked the other side. I've always liked the hospitality business. I've always liked working at a party or performing at a party better than being at a party by far. Like, oh, great. We're all here, but these people are supposed to be here. What are they doing? How'd you get here? Where are you from? You know, and that to me seemed always more fun. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long, strange trip, but I'm so glad to have landed uh, where I did, which was the Jersey City uh, open mic comedy scene, which changed my life. So your comedy... When you first started doing music, I'm going to assume that your music was, was it more serious in nature? Because now, yes. like, again, a lot of your songs are very silly and fun. And like I love that you said silly. Yes, they are designed <laughs> to be silly. Yes. I love a quote from Mike Myers where he said, like, there's something really beautiful about being silly. Like, we lose that ability and, like, kids have that. But, like, why can't adults be silly? And to me, that's, like, a huge thing. Yes, I wrote a lot of songs. I thought I was going to be a singer-songwriter. I don't want to say this. I thought I was going to be a Bob Dylan style guy and play folky style music. That's what I did when I was in college. And the main purpose of me going away to school, I thought, was to write my record and go from there. And I played at a couple open mics and I learned how the open mics work at school. But to me, I never really got super into it. I always felt like I was trying to do too much and that, you know, writing songs is very difficult. And 
for me, writing serious songs, I kind of hit a cap. I kind of hit a wall, probably uh, 2010, 2011, of just not being able to figure out how to pull material out of myself. I had gotten into writing different styles, but the serious music kind of hit a wall for me there. But I will say, big like prequel to me getting to this point was I had written a song for Shayna for our wedding to perform at because my dad played at his wedding and he always talked about it. And everybody I ever knew who went to my dad's wedding came up and said, it was so cool to see you play with your brothers at the wedding. Like that was so awesome. And I wanted to have that for myself, which was kind of selfish in a lot of ways, but I really wanted to do that. And Shayna said, cool. And I, I, it was, you know, it, it's super fun. I, I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to stop a party. You know what I mean? Like there's so many horrible things that can happen when somebody comes up and says, okay, everybody, special announcement. This is what's about to happen. <laughs> I hate that. So I was like, let's have, we got like a DJ band hybrid thing for our wedding. Cause I wanted a good, like I wanted to dance to the songs I wanted to dance to, but I also wanted a live music element and the guitar player singer guy was really good. And, and I liked him and I was like, Hey man, can I come on stage and I'll play the solo to ACDC? You shook me all night long. And then I'll just be up there and I'll play this other song and I'll get right off. It worked pretty well. And it was fun and getting back up and playing in front of people I love was definitely something I really, really, really wanted to do again. I'm proud of that. I'm really proud of that song. Definitely is the best song I've ever written, period. It was definitely like three months before I went to my first open mic. So that was like a catalyst for you. Definitely. About being silly. And sometimes I feel like when you're approaching certain topics, they can be done in a way that is uncomfortable or awkward. But it's funny when you're doing like things that are like sexual in nature from a gross angle, because then it's silly. And it's like, like, you know, yeah, yeah. Sex is very silly, right? Like, (laughs) you know, like it's a it's a very like hilarious idea that we're depicted (laughs) sex as this clean, sterile idea where your two people are going to fall in love and kiss and look into each other's eyes and you know you both come someplace you know and <laughs> everything's nice and you just go on with the rest of your day i don't have sex like that i don't know anybody who has sex like that i'm sure everybody's got some filthy kinky dirty yucky part of it that they know or have experienced that is makes it fun and 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 gross and i think there's definitely kinds of people that like can laugh and like fully like belly laugh during sex and people who cannot because if you can't <laughs> laugh during sex like i, I don't know if i could i, I can't do it with you because it's got to be like it has to be funny and, and like you know not to definitely to overshare like we've been you know some tickle spot will hit up and then somebody will laugh and then and then you're there like that's intimacy, right? Like that's real connection. Like that's like embracing the idea that we're in these like gross bodies, you know, like and they're all just like you're all just walking around all the time. Well, I just and- love the idea of two not being serious all the fucking time. Jesus. Like it's exhausting. Yeah, it's I never was really great at like one night stands. I never I didn't really have a ton of them. I had a lot of relationship sex and like I always I think that's way more fun for me, at least like you grow with that person. You learn with them. Like you have those crazy stories where the person falls off the bed or, you know, you misinterpret something or, or within, you know, safe reasons. Like I, I, I'm, I embrace the hilarious and, and silliness and yuckiness of sex. Like it, I, you're gross. You're all sweaty. It's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's fun too, especially like, um, because I personally love musical comedy Because, like, I do feel like it's a great way for adults to have fun. Like, it's a, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a different level of experience. Whereas, like, if I'm watching someone tell jokes, I'm laughing at them. But I feel like when there's music involved, like, you know, especially, like, again, like, when you're talking about things that people usually don't talk about or things that are uncomfortable or things that are supposed to be a certain way. I don't know if I could have gone back in time and told 21 or 22-year-old AJ, you're going to try musical comedy, you're going to love it, and it's going to be great for you go start that now that it would have worked. I think I definitely needed to have the life experiences that I did and watch enough stand up comedy in real life and on TV and in other places to be able to try my hand at this. And that like, 
I love how well, like your whole podcast about vulnerability. Like, like I'm, I try to be pretty vulnerable, but I have a shield. You know, like I have a fucking Captain America shield in front of me that keeps me from going to an audience and them feeling like, oh, we're way too close with you right now. And like, it's definitely a big help to me to like fall back on it or to have it be a really beautiful musical thing that is then, you know, juxtaposed with being funny. And that definitely is something I really strive for in what I do. And it makes me really happy when um, it, it all kind of works out. You know, the way I've written songs or have written songs uh, comedically has been to really try to focus on a couple of key areas. And one of them that I really do try to focus on is to not write choruses. And that may seem strange to people because how do you have a hook? How do you, or you get find yourself memorable with people when they're listening to your music? And the main thing is I don't have time to repeat myself really that much. And you really, I'm not really focusing on the premise, which is a chorus of a comedy song is usually kind of the premise of the idea, looking at the bodily fluid song specifically. I, I need more time. I need more, more threshold. So in the beginning, it was don't write choruses, get to the jokes, you know, make it short and digestible and not, uh, and, 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 and to have a focus on getting the point across as clearly as possible. I think something I would have done when I was a younger musician, singer guy is to play into singing like you're going to sound cool about it. And that's definitely gone away from me as I've done more comedy because people have to understand what you're fucking saying, <laughs> you know? And like, I can imitate any of those singers from John Mayer to Dave Matthews to Jack Johnson to Louis Armstrong or, or anybody. But if, the, if you're not understanding what I'm saying, you're going to lose that. So for me, like the key part of what I'm trying to do music with my musical comedy is to be understood, to be quick, and to have the the point um, not be belabored by things I think need to be there that don't need to be there. I don't know if that answers your question. I think I went a totally different direction. I'm sorry. Oh no, about I, that. no. <laughs> I wanted to know too about are some of the topics. Are there things that you want to write about but won't? Oh shit! Yes, plenty. I really. You can go back on my people can go back on my Facebook and they could go check out a couple of like political songs I had posted in the beginning of the Trump shit that are are funny and are okay, but they don't have the staying power and the um, broadness that I would like to have to keep something going. And I've tried to, as much as I love political humor, political comedy is my favorite. You know, I'm a, I'll admit this. I'm a Bill Maher super fan. I have been to a taping. I have been front row at a stand-up show for him. I'm a big fan of his, but I'm afraid to try political musical comedy. I don't know if I can communicate all of the ideas in the way that I would want to. So like, I try not to write about politics. I try to write about more, more lately. I try to write things that are very true to me that uh, things that I think are you, you, the conspiracy theory song is a big one for me where like, you know, we see on social media, everybody's crazy ideas all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and like, everyone's just so cool with sharing them. Like that's crazy. <laughs> no, it's like, Hey, I've got a tinfoil hat on. Look at me. Look at me. You know, like and I'm, I'm a big believer that like, uh, this is going to sound really crazy, but like shame was an important part of the, American emotional like spectrum. And like now we've kind of removed shame from a lot of different things. And in a lot of ways, it's great. A lot of ways, it's great. A lot of ways, it's not so good. And I think we should like think about what we say and think about what we believe in very critically because the world is a crazy place. So, like to me, like it was very important for the conspiracy theory song to have things that I thought were, uh, worthy of, of making fun of and that I don't know if making fun of people who believe in Bigfoot or the Loch Ness monster is like exactly what I'm like trying to get at. And so I think politics, things that are very personal for people, personal issues and things that I can't connect to, you know, if, if I'm not there feeling that emotion with the audience, then I don't know if it's going to, it's going to work like that. So yeah, I don't know if I have like as much as like politics, I don't know if I have as many like hard and fast rules of like, I won't touch that. It's just things I haven't gotten to yet. And, yeah. you know, you, I get stuck on riffs all the time, stuck on like three right now. And 
you know, I was very lucky when I started that I had such a long gap between when I felt comedically fertile or, or musically fertile that they all just kind of came out. And then I tried different styles and different ways of like writing formula style songs, which is like, I know a crazy thing to say, but something I had done as like in my own bit or was like, if you go to a restaurant and you would see hardwood exposed brick and like cast iron lighting, there's going to be hipsters there. Like I know what's going to happen. And like, that was what I called the hipster trifecta. That's my idea. And like, then it was like, okay, how can that be a song? Like, okay, so let's pick, you know, in threes, different, you know, hipstery things and then connect them. And then the song is in three, four, it's a waltz. So it moves a certain way. And like, trying to have a really thematic, but also kind of a, a scientific approach to it. Like it, it's not as personal of a song, but it, to me, like there's a lot of like Easter eggs in there that I'm excited about, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that is so much, that makes such a huge difference with doing comedies, like whether or not you're really excited about performing the material. Some bits, like I know, I feel like sometimes I'll try to write bits about what's going on in the world, but there's not that level of like passion or connection. Whereas like if I write something that I'm really emotional about, you know, I feel it's more fun to do. Yeah, I feel that. I, I wish that there was a way to like bring more of the things that like make me, you know, emotional or like even like sad or vulnerable, like into my comedy. That's definitely something I've been like exploring. And the best way I think I've done that is the bald song, which was like a huge, it was a huge like turning point in my life where like from 23 on, I just like hated myself and felt like super inferior about being bald at such a young age. And then like, once I kind of like understood the angle I could approach it from and make it unique to me in a way that is not making fun of bald people, but making fun of myself, like it felt that that was like such mm -hmm. a game changer. What else, and um, what are some of your other areas that you feel vulnerable in? Jeez, a big song that I really, I would love to play again, or like maybe needs a revisit or a refresh is a song I wrote about being Jewish. I have a, uh, being Jewish to me is, is, is very important. And it was something that was shown to me, but not necessarily so rigidly enforced or mandated. It was like something I like, I felt a connection to through doing other things and meeting other people and, and kind of getting into growing up and being a person. And for a long time, I thought I seriously about being a rabbi. And that was something that very much was a part of what I wanted to do. And then I had a couple of very specific incidents happen to me where I was 17. It was my first time in Israel and it was amazing. It was the end of my trip and it was the last day. And we were at the um, Western Wall, which was the most holiest site for Jewish people in the whole world. And my mom is Catholic. My dad is Jewish. So according to Jewish rules, I am not really Jewish and I would have to like undertake several like major things in order to be like legally Jewish in the eyes of people who I don't care about. That was kind of a big eye opener to me. And then it was also after living in Israel and learning about Israelis and, and meeting Israelis and really having a great time. My first job doing event planning was run through a, uh, a company that was run by Israelis and they were not so super nice to me. And it kind of felt like, you know, ugh, like ugh, this isn't, this isn't cool. And then there's just also just genuine anti-Semitism and mm -hmm. that just exists in the world now, which is a crazy thing to think about. Mm -hmm. And I get nervous about that because I don't want to be perpetuating anti-Semitism among people who don't know me and understand me and what I'm really trying to say. And I also don't think the song is really very funny. So like, it's a, it's kind of a weird thing where I definitely approached it and I'm coming at it from a place where I'm not taking it as seriously and I'm trying to really talk about myself, but I definitely get nervous about playing it out because one, I don't know if people connect with how crazy deep that song goes for me. And I don't know that it resonates with actual Jewish people even, you know, like I don't think that many people know the kind of the interfaith, you know, world that I, I kind of grew up in and had to live in a kind of a very specific part of Judaism through. And I think maybe like in a generation or two, like it'll be funny to those people and, and they'll understand. But I've definitely been hesitant to like put that out or really perform it because I don't want to be like part of the problem, you know, and like because I don't have like 10 minutes to go over the context of like, 
well, like religious people are okay. Like they're not, you know, um, they're not evil. And the guys with the black hats, like they're not going to ruin Jersey city. And like, it's not that the Jewish people are a whole conspiracy theory, even though I'm about to sing like they, they are like, it's, it's complicated, you know? So, and it's also something that I feel weird being um, so attached to because, you know, do I necessarily believe that there is a like, you know, Yahweh style God in the sky who will rain down hellfire upon people for different reasons? Absolutely not. But I definitely appreciate and have really benefited from the social uh, aspects and communal aspects of Judaism that I really like, as well as the the traditions that are that come with the whole program, you know, you get some really cool holidays and and time out of your schedule to think about stuff and be with other people and and what a blessing that is. So mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely get I get worried that I'm like, you know, not helping. <laughs> what about though the bit then? So do you just kind of let the bit sit on the shelf? Yeah, you just kind of have to, you know, wait for a crowd. Like I think if I played like a Moisha House or a Hillel or like a JCC or like in front of a whole bunch of Jews at a Hanukkah party, like they would know what I'm talking about it. Okay. And they would appreciate the angle that I'm taking. And also I go through a lot of uh, information in that song. It's, it's like kind of like an exposition dump of like explaining what is actually going on. Yeah. And that's a weird thing to do in a song. So like, I, I wouldn't want to confuse people and I, uh, and you just kind of have to be okay with, um, what's different for you guys, which I love. And, and I, I, I get a little jealous of is that if you're in the beginning of a joke and the premise doesn't work, you can kind of change direction sometimes. Right. For me, if I'm starting a song and like the premise of my song isn't working, it's, it would be weird if I just stopped playing the song. <laughs> Stop, right. <laughs> you know, like it would be weird to like, Oh, well, fuck it. <laughs> You know, so I have to kind of commit through the entirety of the song, which is why I try for shorter songs so yeah. that it's not such a long, you know, it's also a time thing, but you, you, uh, you get, I hope people can take more away from it than if I were to, you know, sing about Jews for three minutes. <laughs> Do you have any comedy regrets? Oh God. I don't, you know, that's a, you're good at this. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I have any regrets. I, I wouldn't. Okay, yes, I have one big regret. The first big regret is that I didn't know um, how the light worked in comedy for maybe six months. <laughs> and that was a big problem. And, uh, you know, to me, like, I guess I had, um, coming from a musical open mic background, you know, uh, the light usually meant either wrap up your song or you get one more song and that's kind of it. With comedy, you have one minute. I didn't really know that for a little while and I didn't really take the time to understand or appreciate how important that was. So the first bringer show I ever did in Manhattan, which was super quick for me. Like I started in December of 2018. I was performing in New York city in March of 2019. I blew the light for a whole song and at a duplex doing a bringer show for a, um, a guy and I knew he was videotaping and I wanted the videos and I was, I just did it. And I felt bad about it after the fact, because I saw, you know, what I had done was wrong, but ultimately I love those videos and it was a bringer show anyway. And the guy has left the scene and, you know, anytime I bring it up to anybody who was there that night, they do not remember that part. So like, yes, it was wrong. I shouldn't have blown the light that time. It would have probably been advantageous of me to just listen. But I also, I didn't, I didn't know. I really just didn't understand what I was going on. I think everybody's got a blowing the light story too. You know, I think that's like par for the course. Yeah, but, you know, at least you go in knowing what the light meant. You know, like I didn't know. Right. So like I'm up there, like this guy's lighting me and like, he's waving it around. I'm like, yeah, I'm in my last song. What the fuck is going on? Everything's cool. And like, and it was such a great experience. And the big regret was 
I tried a very timely joke that was very into Star Wars that people did not get. And it sucks dead air so hard on the video that I edited it out that like, so like I go up, I'm about to sing the nostalgia song, which is a song I wrote about all the eighties and nineties movies I loved growing up. And, uh, I say, Hey, I play like the Star Wars theme and I say, Hey, has everybody seen that new trailer? And the place like erupted. Right. Like everybody was like, ah! and I was like, cool. Like they're my people. Maybe they know about star Wars. And then I did like, I did a joke where it was like, I can't believe that they're, you know, after all this, these years, they're finally bringing back the final bad guy for the final movie. I mean, how kind of lazy writing is that? And there's just like, there's ghosts of crickets, you know, like there's nobody even sort of thinking about that idea. So yeah, that's, that's my that's my big comedy regret. So what about uh, a joke that you do? Because like, again, you can sense that when you lose control of the audience or you lose the audience. What's a joke that you like to do, but you know it could go either way? Like you could lose them. What's that joke? True. It's definitely the bodily fluid song lately, you know, which is I like the idea that I have songs that are openers and closers. And to me, that's like a very fun thing to play around with. And I always like to see where could I play bodily fluids in a set? Where could I do it? Should I do it at the front so that I get them on my team and like we know what's about to happen? Or should we save it for the end and go full gross out and like see how they can handle it? And I think like Shana said the other day, she's like, what am I supposed to do during the bodily fluid song? Like everybody's just like looking at me or like turning to me or tapping me. What am I supposed to do? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so definitely that I could definitely if they weren't ready for it and it was, you know, maybe there were kids there or something like it's a gross out yucky song. And I think people could definitely be offended by it for sure. Your worst I, comedy memory. Ooh, my worst comedy memory. Yeah. Oh, my God. <sighs> mm. Bombing with new material at Bobby D's in front of everybody. And like, and that just like sucked so hard. That was the last time I stopped playing songs I wrote day of on stage. I will never do that again. It's different for you guys. I think you can go up with the notes or you could, or you could have the joke and you could try it and it could go okay and that's fine. I need to get different things together before I really try it. And if I try it before I really know it or I know all the lyrics, which is a, a totally different thing. I was the worst lyric memorization person in a band ever. I forgot all the lyrics to every song ever, but that's why I focus so hard on these songs now. It's, it's so important. The language I pick, which I take a lot of pride in, is so important. So to like fuck up the words, to fuck up the guitar playing at Bobby D's doing, I think it was the song I got to do for Bike JC, the Bike Ward bike tour that I had got asked to write for. And I like totally died like i died super hard to the point where um josh wells is another comedian while i was like at the bar after my set was doing bits about remembering bombing and like how important and good it is to bomb like staring directly at me and i was like shit like everyone knows i bombed like it's not even like uh it's it's not an unspoken secret it's like we all know this happened it happens you know and then and that was okay. Those times are really great. I bombed this week at Wawa. I haven't, I had a new song I've been trying to, to get out. It's very technical and it's, I call it auto bio. It's like autobiographical. I, I get jealous that you guys can do so much. People know so much about you through your comedy. You know, like I don't think people know so much about me. So I get nervous that like they don't know. So maybe they want to know, maybe they are interested. So like I wrote like this, uh, song based on like when you were like remember being like a little kid and like someone would like ask you in school like hey you know you're new here where where are you from and you tell them like your whole life story like that's that song and like yeah. it i got to the end like i nailed most of it and then i got to the very very end which i always actually fuck up even in my own house it like totally fell apart and like you know that that's okay that's all part of it you know yeah the bombs are you know it's i feel like i they're more valuable, especially when you bomb really hard and like want to throw up and then you're still able to do it again. It's such an endurance thing. You know what I mean? Like it's such a mental endurance to be like this entire room full of people saw me fuck up this week. 
I'm going to be back in three weeks to three days to a week to do it all over again. And let's see how this one goes. And you got to get up. And like a big thing for me is like, right before I get called up, like I'll just sit and like close my eyes and just be like, doesn't matter. Like it's all, it's all out there. I, I wish I spent more time recording my sets, but I also kind of understand like for me, it's more nebulous to me. Like, like I I'd rather like, I think of it kind of like baseball, like each open mic is like an at bat, you know? And like, I usually get two swings. So like, am I going to strike out? Am I going to connect? Will I hit a foul ball? Like, let's see what happens. And um, that's why I kind of take them for what they are. It's, it's, it's bonus time. And then if I get to play on a place where I'm supposed to be there, um, I will work very hard to prepare for that night. And then I will also work hard to uh, capture what I did so I can share that. And what is comedy doing comedy? How has it impacted your life? It's, it's so totally changed it. It's so helped me understand um, so many things, storytelling, connection, relationships, how to read a room better, how to understand other people in a, in the moment, you know, to be more self-aware, definitely. And uh, that definitely helps in in real life to also listening, you know, like that's something I wish I had done uh, improv for because listening is such an important part of comedy, understanding what's going on and hearing somebody fully, completely absorbing that and then either adding on specifically to that or to continue in that same beat is very hard. And it's something that um, has definitely helped me to listen to other people in my professional life and in my podcasting life, in my marriage, uh, to really listen, to really hear somebody and, and to be patient with that listening, you know, that it may not come out right away. It may take time. I think though, that's a great message to, because today I think we need to listen more than ever. Like, especially like we're kind of in a really volatile time and the country seems super divided, but I think like listening is the way to really just one validate and allow people to share their experiences and then show that demonstrate that they're valued, you know, that I yeah. hear you. People have a story to tell, you know, and, and everybody's got a backstory and a, and a past and something they regret, you know, like it's, that's why this podcast is so awesome. Like, you know, for me, like, to be able to listen took me a, a long time. You know, I think event planner AJ wasn't listening so good and would definitely, you know, if you were saying something, could I have been waiting for my turn to talk while you were saying your sentences? Probably. Yeah, maybe. And I definitely feel like now that you have, and I think uh, uh, Andy said this on your podcast recently, he's like, everything comes back to comedy where you're always thinking about it and you're always thinking how you can, have that joke or have that moment or how to absorb that in a different way. And, and like, I so feel that mm-hmm. I so feel that you're just like listening and absorbing and trying to see if there's anything in the world that's going to come to you that day to say, Oh, this is funny. Yeah. It's so it's weird. Yeah. How like super in tune it becomes. And then I like it. Cause then just like going back to talking about being silly, then things that, you know, you wouldn't think about in one way become really silly and it's just like, you know, it's just a more joyful life. People need to like not like ketchup so much. Like people who love ketchup, <laughs> holy shit. What the fuck? Like that's your identity. You love ketchup. Jesus. Come on. Like, cause like, you hate ketchup. I fucking hate that shit. And like, I, you know, and, and it comes from like a real place. Like that's like, it's so that's, it's, it's just true to life. I never liked ketchup. I always hated ketchup. And then I worked at this place where I toiled in ketchup, where I literally come <laughs> home covered in ketchup. I would stink of ketchup. And you'd see people on the line with these squeeze bottles just squirting this obscene amount of ketchup on french fries or chicken fingers or calamari or like, yeah. like yucky, ew, disgusting. <laughs> like it's just this red vinegary sugar syrup you like on your stuff. And like, if you can stop and think about it and say, oh, ketchup is gross. Like after like icing about it for a couple of seconds or, yeah. or accept, like, I love, I like pickles now a lot. Like it took me years. It, Shayna was like, dude, you got to try a pickle. And then she really got me through a, a place where she's like, you have to try a Cuban sandwich. She <gasps> took me for Cuban sandwiches in Jersey city. One of our first dates. And I was like, oh shit, this is great. I hate pickles. This is awesome. And then I was 
what you I would call situational pickle or uh, <laughs> contextual pickle. Like if, the, if it needs to be there in order to enhance the essential experience of eating the food, yeah, then go for it. But I think everybody has that. Everybody has something they don't want to eat. Everybody has something that they think about food as being weird. And like, that's okay. And, yeah. and I think people connect, I hope, to that through that song that they're oh. like, oh, well, I hate whipped cream or whatever, you know? Yes. No, I definitely think so. Because I mean, it, you know what I mean? It's like food can, is universal. It's culture. Uh, it's so many things. And like, again, it's just going back to like just finding the lightness in life. You know what I mean? Like everything yeah. around us is so, so serious all the time. It's so high stakes. Yeah. You know? Like this yeah. week, like, like, I don't know if like, we didn't even talk about it, which is like so awesome to have a break. I know, right? <laughs> but holy shit. Like this week has been the, the stakes are so high. Right. You know, and it, it's not like anything in the past where, and I guess they always, the media always makes you feel like it is, this is the election of your lifetime. Right. And they've said that a lot for many different elections and living through a few of them. Now you see that the, the stakes got exponentially higher kind of at every single one, but for this one, this whole crazy week that we just went through and I'm super thrilled with the way that it ended. Holy shit. But like, holy crap, like the moments where, where, and, and this is going to so out me, but the moments where like Maddow turns to like Nicole Wallace or, or one of these other people and has a fucking joke, like they fucking crack up. It's not even funny. Like that wouldn't work for shit with us, but like the tension is so high there yeah. that literally just anybody making the slightest light of the situation, it's so funny. And, and it becomes, it, it takes it helps to relieve some of that awful tension. Like I hope people don't really live with this crazy hatred in their hearts. I think I don't, you know, I don't think so. I feel like people, like, it's just like a basic, we have like five basic emotions that we all kind of live in. Like some people are just happy mostly or sad mostly, or, you know, and I'm not saying other emotions don't pop up, but I feel like there's a person that kind of like lives in fear, you know what I mean? And that's like deep rooted to their core and their traumas. And I feel like comedy, what I love so much about it is it helps remind people that they're safe. It breaks that tension. It alleviates, like, you know, you said, even the smallest joke can just make things so much lighter. And that's the best part about comedy. It's like, relax, you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, like, it's not that serious, boo-boo. You know, I got you. Right. Yeah, I mean, what's happening? And like, I don't want to really talk so much because I don't want to be optimistic or, you know- On the wrong side of history. I, honestly, I've been after 2016, I, like at that point, like for me, it was like, okay, anything is possible. You know what I mean? Like if we come out of this without a dictator, I'm going to be like, that's fucking, this is great. Thank God. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, my friend. I'm right there. Uh, it's gotta be again, like I love political comedy. Like it's something I'm so afraid of. Cause I, I, I don't like that people can absorb political comedy and they take the comedy out of it and then it becomes political. You know what I mean? Like you cannot think a joke is then funny just because it doesn't, you know, agree with your political affiliations. Like that's such a stupid way to absorb entertainment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and like, I would never want to, it's not that I wouldn't want to piss people off or, or not have that, but it's such a short period of time. And like, I don't want to, be spending most of my time doing what I do, confusing people. I want to bring them joy and happiness and entertainment. I want to entertain definitely. And like, that's to me, like I hope in a couple of years or like in time, like we can get back to a point where you can say a political joke and people don't just get fucking triggered, you know, like, and, and it can just be like Trump is unobjectively funny. Like that's, it's got to be such a fucking hard time for people because mm-hmm. he, the things that he does, like you cannot not laugh at it because it is so absurd. It is so fucking yeah. crazy. Like, like say- last night with his whole dictator shit in the white house, like, holy shit. Like it was sad. I was like, crap. Like he has no, he has no evidence. Bill Barr isn't there. <laughs> you know, like he has nobody backing him. It's just like his sad id exposed to the world. Okay. And, and people will, you know, mock Trevor Noah or say he's not funny, but in the meantime, he's 
he and him and his team are have been killing it you know yeah. they're they're great they're, they're yeah, all great i know it's so on point so much that's what i like about comedy because like again you can bring messages like it doesn't always have to be about entertainment it could be about uh the message um i wanted to tell you too i forgot i used to do a trump because i love impersonating him you and do i a great actually, impersonation it's awesome <laughs> the, you get the you get such a great face of it you're so good <laughs> at that funny. he's got those duck lips but i the whole punchline of the joke was how much trump loved ketchup <laughs> completely forgot about like yeah i'm like oh my god like talking with you and i'm like yeah i'm like trump seems like a type of guy that would like ketchup a lot a lot oh, on a steak definitely yeah, for sure. oh, yeah all over it all over it so but oh. my friend it's been so awesome being able to talk with you i think like again i just think you're wonderful you're one of been been one of my favorite people i've met doing comedy and i was hoping oh. that you could share out what um again where we can find you yes uh please so if you were to come and find me there are a few different places you could absorb me or take me in for the first time if you're coming there to see me. If you want to see my comedy uh, songs, go to my YouTube, AJS11089. Uh, that's my username on YouTube. You'll see AJ Sherman, musical comedy and podcasting. Uh, about I think I have 12 songs on there right now from different live performances I've gotten to do. I'm super duper proud of those. I work very hard on them. Uh, if you want to see like what I'm like every day, my Instagram is probably the place to go. AJ don't AJ D O N T. Why do I have that name? Because it came from my friends always being like, AJ don't. And <laughs> I just felt like AJ. Yes. And that's like, not as funny. Um, so, uh, and then if you want to like um, listen to the podcast or check out any of the uh, geeky shit I'm into and things I obsess about and get very passionate and speak at great length, sometimes longer than the movies and media we're actually talking about. Uh, Long Lost Heroes podcast. We are on fate on we're on Facebook and all the social medias, but we're also listed on Apple and Google and Spotify and Stitcher. We're all over them, so you could come and find us there, please. Oh my god! And don't forget, you're going to be on Friday the thirteenth. Shit! Yes, I cannot wait. I am doing a uh, new um, experimental style stuff at this new show that I have not uh, recorded yet, so I'm excited to make some new stuff. And Deanna, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. First, you're a fucking hilarious comedian and, and, a, and have been a super great friend to me for getting to know the scene for a while. So thank you very much for that. Thanks, but like this podcast is like such a great thing. And like even more so than like uh, doing my own podcast, it's always been a dream to like be on a podcast like this, really more so than anything. And it uh, helped me. Thank you for helping me achieve that. As oh, I'm so grateful that you were able to talk with me and be so candid. And like I said, everybody I'm talking to, I'm learning so much from, you know, so I am greatly appreciative that you would take your time to talk with me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Oh, well, tell Shannon I said hi. Okay. And I hope I see you soon. I will. Yes. Likewise. All right, buddy. Take care, Deanna. Thank you. <laughs>